there's a few things that like really exemplify Burning Man, and one of them is radical self-expression. Experiences, creations, opinions, through the lens of engineering. You're listening to Deconstructing This, an original podcast by Engineering Express. Today on our premiere episode of Deconstructing This, Burning Man, with guest Zach Rubin. I'm Frank Bernardo. Hey, this is really exciting, Zach, because today we're going to have our premiere episode of Deconstructing This. And today we're going to deconstruct something that I find fascinating for so many reasons. It's just got a complete list of things that interest me, and it's called Burning Man. And let's just say I know nothing about it because I kind of almost do. Tell me a little bit about what is Burning Man. A lot of people think it's like um, like a festival, like, oh, you know, did you have fun at your music festival kind of questions that I ask, but I've heard people describe it as a city. So it's in remote location of Nevada, so middle of the desert, like three-hour drive from Reno, and it's on a, a prehistoric lake bottom. So out of nowhere, like the majority of the year, it's just like a, a state park, and then for this one time a year, there out of nowhere comes cities and roads and people and art, music. It's nothing like I've ever experienced anywhere. You've been there a couple of times? I went this past year, was my second burn, yeah. What time of year is it? It's the late August, early September. Hot or cold? Tell me how what it's like. So you have, during the day, hot. I mean, coming from Florida, like, I'm, I'm used to it, but very arid, so dry, temperatures like 90, almost 100 during the day, and then the complete opposite at nighttime. So if it's cold, can dip down into like the 50s or 60s, so big contrast between daytime and nighttime in the in the desert. Okay, so how many people are there? Let's paint this picture. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. Nothing, really. You have to bring an entire infrastructure, and how many people are around to do that? 70,000 wow. around people. So like I equate it to like uh, going to like a football game. Okay, and Burning Man would make me think you're burning something. So what does the burning have to do with this, and how'd that come to be? The the burning part is there's a huge component of fire. So uh, like a lot at, at night times, so what happens is because, like you said, it's there's no infrastructure. At nighttime, it's pitch black. So the most one of the important things is that there's all kinds of things that you can do to help make it more safe. So they encourage people to light themselves up or light their bikes up. So something else that's really cool at nighttime is people who play with fire. Then towards the end of the burn, like throughout the week, it's about it's about a week long. In the middle, they actually start to burn some of the structure. So the the what's the structure? Tell me about the structure. The playa itself is what it's the whole ground is called. In the there's a whole area for camping, but then there's also an area out they call deep playa. So there's art installations out there made of all different kinds of materials. Some of them are made of wood. So throughout the week, they schedule some of the, the art installations or uh, sculptures or structures to be burned. And then at a certain time, you can go and you can sit and they will light it on fire and burn it. And then the biggest two burns are the last, the Saturday night and the Sunday night. The Saturday night is the, the man burns and then Sunday night is the temple burn. My mind goes right away to you have a big fire in the middle of 70,000 people. You don't have running water, I assume. So... Tell me about how, how that is safe and how that comes to be. 
For all the burns, they create a perimeter. And they, meaning there's a whole, there's uh, the volunteers there who are helping, and they're there to help you if you need water and stuff. And then there's also a big uh, police and even like uh, state park presence. And they do have the burns. They set up the perimeter, depending on the size of the structure, I guess they can figure out how much heat it's going to generate. And then everyone's required to stand back a certain distance. And then there's also a big presence of, depending on the size of the burn, different officials there. People, police are there to make sure that, that people respect the perimeter not to, to get burned so it's safe. It's seven o'clock in the morning. You wake up, you've got to find breakfast, you've got to shower, You've got, a, I'm sure, I've got a list of tasks to build things and to, so yeah. what's that like? What's it like being in the middle of the desert saying, what have I done? I'm in the middle of nowhere and I've got to fend for myself. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes I think that like, I chose this for a vacation, but part of it, parts of it don't feel like a vacation at all. There's, there's definitely work involved. Getting there, there's a lot, depending on the size of your camp. So you can camp with larger camps, like more groups of people, where you even get assigned like a job or responsibility. Let's say, you know, oh, you're a bartender at, you know, 4 p.m. on Tuesday and Thursday, something like that. But I camp with a smaller group of people, like 15 of us. So we arrived at different times, but when I got there, you know, and because I'm the engineer, or even people call me the architect, because there's confusion about the difference. You know, they put everything on me, you know, Zach, can you attach this tarp to this, you know, uh, canvas or this like steel, these steel piping, you know, you're the engineer, figure it out. In regards to the hygiene and day-to-day -day stuff, there, we have a shower, we're all, we all, it's like um, like a camping type shower, you bring water and you pour in, and there's some type of pump that pumps it up through the faucet. I'm, I'm just, you, imagine you take a shower, you get on your bike, and then five minutes later, you're just covered in dust. So it's kind of like, what's the point? And then in regards to food, one of the biggest things for me is that because it's so hot during the day, it's fighting the dehydration. And, you know, you get so caught up in the excitement of activities and, and things. And then there's also, you know, mind-altering substances, so you forget to take care of yourself. So the big thing for me, like no matter what in the morning, is um, Pedialyte powder. So it's like um, high in electrolytes helps me stay hydrated because... You know, you could lose track of time, and before you know it, you know, you went a, a whole day without really drinking a lot of water or eating, so. I can't imagine being there halfway through the day and covered in sand, and you've got to fend for your next meal or forget to drink. What about that is offset by the part that makes you really want to be there? What is that inside saying, I'm going back next year? And you are going back? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite parts of just like being alive and things that I appreciate the most is uh, people and the way people express themselves. So one of the, there's a few things that like really exemplify Burning Man and one of them is radical self-expression. Just meeting people, costumes, um, makeup, all, the, all kind of the, the artwork, the way the people decorate their art cars, the installations, the sculptures. The names, the people, the way they, they come up with their camp names, the, the just even conversations that I have with people. It's amazing. It brings people from all walks of life, from all around the world. Um, I met people from Germany and from India and from Australia, just a lot of Canadians and Americans, just people from all over the place. Even though there are parts of it, the, the getting there and then also the leaving that feel like work, there's, I've had a lot of life experience traveling in different countries and different states, but... There's really just nothing like it, so. Are there people you stay in touch with throughout the year, or are these just people that are Burning Man friends for you? 
when I was 18 years old, I saw some type of documentary on like HBO or something. And I said, like, this is amazing. I, w I have to check this out. I wanted to go a couple years ago with a buddy and he wasn't sure he was able to go because it's, it's hard to get a ticket. It can be very expensive. Not many people can take, you know, a week to a week and a half off of work. So um, I was able to link up with my friend who he had a camp of about 10 or 15 people and they keep a storage unit in Reno year round, which makes it easier because they keep all their, their kitchen and their, their tent, their shade structure, all the, the bicycles and everything that they need stays there. So I'm friends with one guy and he camped with those people and then by going there and meeting them, then some of them live in Miami, some of them live in California, they live all over the place. So the ones that are local, yeah, I, I do see, you know, maybe like a handful of times each year, but I have one friend that if, it w if I never met him, I probably would have never gone, so. You mentioned seeing this on HBO, and I went on YouTube and Googled some parts of Burning Man to see what it was really all about. For you, what part doesn't translate from us watching on HBO or YouTube. What What is it that hits you that's different than I'll ever be able to experience without being there? The The biggest thing for me is the human element. So there, everyone is in the same space um, in terms of intellectually or emotionally. There's so much gratitude there for people just to, like, just to get there is a challenge. Financially, Location-wise, logistically, it's it's a struggle just to get there. So when people are actually there, even getting a ticket, everyone's in the same mentality of you know we're we're off of work or whatever, like a break from life. We're here in this magical place full of incredible people and amazing experiences, and everyone's in this same place where everyone's open and friendly, greeted with hugs. Um, it's a very warm, loving atmosphere, which through media, through film, or uh, you can't, it doesn't really do it justice. Is there a celestial aspect to it, or is it just too dark? What's it like atmospherically? I have friends that were really into uh, sunrises and sunsets, one friend in particular before I went, and I never really understood it. And then when I went there, and I'm, I'm very much into nature, so seeing the sunrise and the sunset in the middle of the desert, so everywhere you look is sand, and then it's the backdrop of, the, of mountains. I'm not sure what it is specifically, but the, the colors in the, in the morning and in the evening, the yellows and oranges and pinks that like the sky just that, that mother nature provides are breathtaking. And then at nighttime, yeah, the, st the stars are unbelievable. It's, it's just a combination of entertainment in terms of people and music, and then the whole atmosphere, the nature, it's, it's, um, it's a special experience. I asked what happens to all that stuff generated from 70,000 people in the middle of the desert. Here's what he tells me. Trash out, out there is referred to as MOOP. It's an acronym, um, Matter Out of Place, M-O-O-O-P. So one of the, the, some of the coolest aspects about Burning Man is they only sell two things, which are ice and coffee, and there aren't any garbage cans or trash receptacles anywhere you go. So if you go somewhere and, you know, let's say you go to a bar and someone, you know, you get a beer or a drink, usually you're supposed to bring your own canteen. But I go with the mentality of minimizing or limiting waste. So we try to 
shed a lot of our packaging and stuff before we go out there. But when you go out at night, you have no idea where you're going to go, where you're going to end up. And um, if you do like get some type of container, then, you know, then it's on me to dispose of it. So I have a basket on my bicycle or I have a fanny pack with me everywhere I go. Even if I see trash, I'm encouraged to pick it up. Towards the end of the experience, we then we start doing um, a moop sweep of camp. So as we're we're packing up camp, we're tearing down camp. We have our own trash cans there, and it's Burning Man is actually the world's largest leave no trace event, which means that when we go, because it's a national park. After it's done, the concept is that it's leave no trace. We're supposed to pretend like we were never there. You said seventy thousand people. Is it capped? At 70,000? It's a good question. Getting tickets for Burning Man is very challenging. Where they're at now, there is a, a maximum amount of tickets that are sold. So something crazy you'll see is I flew all the way to Nevada from South Florida, and I have everything planned out. I, you know, we have a, a hotel room and a, me and my friends and a rental car and all this stuff. We get to the event. We drove three hours outside of Reno. We're waiting in line, and then you see people who are walking the entrance where you're in a line of cars with a sign that says, I need a ticket. And I said, how did that person come this far all the way here without a ticket? And it's a testament to how amazing the event is and how motivated people are to actually going and getting in. If you only had 30 seconds to tell me what Burning Man was and we had met on the street, what would you say? How do you describe it in micro form? I would describe it as a collection of people who are interested in expressing themselves in any kind of way, whether musically, artistically, through clothing, and who are really open to connecting and and being loving with the idea that the way that we live for that week is then we go out into the world and that's how we want to change the world is through what we connect on the playa. Any closing comments and things that you thought, hmm, I'm going to be asked quite a few questions about Burning Man. I want to make sure that I tell them this. There are times where, because I have this background, and it wasn't always this way, but once I got the degree and started working in the industry where even if I go to place like a water park or like a, a some type of theme park, anywhere really, I'm genuinely interested how things are built, but also concerned for my safety. There are certain times there where you have different art installations or sculptures, sometimes 20 feet tall, sometimes 50 feet tall that I could be climbing or going into. And I immediately go to, okay, um, egress, if if there's some type of fire or, you know, how am I going to get out of here or um, how things are built, if they're safe. So I can do like an, uh, an eye test, like Oh, okay, this is um, this structure is X amount of feet tall, and we're standing on a 24-inch diameter pipe. Oh, I think this is okay. How is this, you know, steel grating connected to these steel angles? You know, is, is this do do I feel safe when I do I want to stand there? Do I not want to stand there? That kind of stuff. Also, just observing people from a distance, like um, in the camps, I've seen scaffolding 20, 30 feet tall, and I was like, there's you know, there's no way I would climb up there. I saw um, there's one art car called Robot Heart, and it's basically if you could picture like a city bus with a tower of speakers on one side and then a DJ standing on the top of the bus. And then on top of all of that, there is a heart basically made of like a three-dimensional heart with like welded metal. And at some points, like at a, a crazy party, you could see maybe 10 or 15 girls climbing and dancing on this w- w- welded metal. 
and there's a just a huge concern for me just as an observer as an engineer looking up and saying you know when's this thing gonna fail well one of the welds gonna fail the moment connection at the base do people get hurt i'm sure right they have a medical staff yeah absolutely one of the the biggest ways people get hurt is um instead of using rebar stakes because the the sand doesn't really it's not doesn't really behave like soil so you know you go camping and you put the stake down and there's also high winds so there's even you go on youtube videos of a tent you know on a windy day coming dislodged from the ground flying 20 feet in the air so people use you're encouraged to use rebar stakes so then you know at nighttime you can't see you have a headlamp on and you're walking in your camp and maybe you trip and then there's an exposed rebar stake that you know impales you and so and they're rusty so that's the most common way that people get hurt there's also people a lot of people are barefoot so you know you're walking around barefoot you don't really know what you're going to step on stuff in the ground maybe from last year or so there yeah there are definitely injuries people falling off vehicles or um, getting struck by vehicles falling off their bicycles dehydration is a is a big one it's not a day at the spa What's the youngest and oldest and average age group there? When I went last year for the first year, and I'm, I have seven nieces and nephews. I spent a lot of time with children. With the first child I saw out there, I was almost offended. Didn't really think that this was a, a safe place for children. But um, after thinking about it, there, I mean, there are a lot of uh, nude people there. It's a, actually a very sexually charged atmosphere. Seeing children there for the first time was a little uh, frightening, but it's a, an amazing place for them to, especially for creativity and imagination, it really shows children that, that anything is possible. In regards to the age, I saw children, I mean, I maybe even saw uh, some toddlers, so four years old, and I saw older people maybe 70, 80 years old, and then I would say the average age of people, 30s, 40s. I wondered if Zach would go back and if he saw himself as a leader in Burning Man one day. Here's what he says. This is the kind of event where, you know, I, I don't like to go back to places or do things because, you know, I'm only in on this earth in this physical state once. So I want to take in as much as I can different kinds of experiences. But after going these past few years, this is something that I see myself doing indefinitely. And then in terms of long term, I love music and I love dancing and one of my favorite things to do. So I don't think that's going to change. So some of the experiences that I've had there and that I've seen that have been the most impactful are the some of the spiritual experiences. So whether it's uh, meditating or soul gazing or hug workshops, different things that are really connected and that bring people together is really where I could see myself, you know, maybe joining a camp that does something like that or being a part of some type of group that facilitates those type of activities. I had an idea for next year that I'm not sure if it's gonna materialize, but I basically wanna sit out in the middle of Deep Playa on like a rug with a couple umbrellas and I would have a couple, a cushion for me and a cushion for someone else and a little table there. And I'd have all water and snacks and things to keep myself out there throughout the day. I would basically, I would have some kind of sign that, you know, says like, ask me anything or like ring bell for assistance. So you imagine you could just see a guy sitting there by himself just waiting 
and I would just wait for someone to come and, you know, who would be willing to come and sit down and just have a conversation with me. There's some type of manifestation power that amplifies itself out there because of the the mindset that everyone is in. They call it pliodipity. So you say, oh, I, you know, I really need, uh, I really need this tool for my bike. And then out of nowhere, some, you know, guy rides bike and he's like, does anyone need help fixing their bike? It's, there's bizarre things that happen like that all the time. So I would be really interested and fascinated to see who would sit down with me and who would talk with me. And even if I spent the whole week, my entire experience doing that, I can imagine I'd have the most incredible time just getting to know people and the stories and the experiences that I would have. Oh, that's great, Zach. And I wish you the best in going back and honor you for your well-rounded engineering mind. You live equally on your left and right side of the brain, and I <laughs> honor that. I, I give you great props for that. So. Thank you very much for spending time with me and for giving me a moment of your experience. It's enrapting. I really felt it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. My pleasure. So that's it for our first podcast of Deconstructing This. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more surprises coming soon. Deconstructing This, an original podcast by Engineering Express.